because I could solve a problem that could make them millions and it only took me an hour, but it actually took me 20 some years of knowledge and expertise and, and you know, building my career up to where I am now to be able to put that hour in and solve that million dollar problem. G'day folks, Troy Dean here from WP Elevation and I'm very excited this week to be speaking with Stefan Spencer on the podcast. He is one of the original authors of the Art of SEO book. Uh, We talk about writing books, we talk about public speaking, we talk about being on television, and we also talk about the possibility that robots are going to replace all of us. It's a fascinating episode. It's a little longer than usual, but there is tons of gold in this episode. Stay with us. This is the WP Elevation Podcast, helping WordPress consultants elevate. Just before we get into this episode of the WP Elevation Podcast, we'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, GoDaddy Pro, who help us make this all possible. But instead of just giving you a spiel about how great GoDaddy Pro is, we thought it would be more interesting to introduce you to a GoDaddy Pro customer, a WordPress consultant just like you, and see what kind of work they're doing with their clients and the impact they're having on their community. Melissa Gessinger of One Day Labs uses her talents to build websites in one day for her clients. With GoDaddy Pro Tools, she's able to achieve an entire website in one day for nonprofits that are looking to impact their community through her One Day Labs Day of Giving. We have found that a great way to give back to the community is to um, have these uh, events once a year where we are able to build a website for a nonprofit in our community um, for free in a day. That's awesome. And then how did the Raise Collective website, how did that help their nonprofit? How did it help make an impact? We built a site for the Raises Collective, which is a Sonoma County nonprofit that uh, does a lot of giving back to the community, um, like the Hispanic community, people of color, uh, through art installations and programs and, and that kind of thing. So having a good website built by a professional just raises that an organization's credibility. And so being able to go through the process with us, uh, we, we in, um, in about an eight to 10 hour period of time, they had a new logo. They had, were able to have a, a brand new website with both English and Spanish translation. And um, where can people find you to learn more about your business? They can go to onedaylabs.com. For more information about GoDaddy Pro, visit godaddy.com slash pro for tools to support your business. Okay, now let's get back to the show and see if we can help you take your WordPress consulting business to the next level. G'day folks, Troy Dean here, and I'm very pleased to have with me on the show, Stefan Spencer. Hey, Stefan, how are you? I'm doing great, thanks. Awesome. Thanks for joining us on the show. We are going to be talking uh, all things SEO. We're going to be talking writing books. We're going to be talking speaking, how to get on television. Um, but before we get there, let's uh, fill people in. For those of you, that, those people who don't know who you are, tell us a little bit about your background and, uh, and why you're here. Yeah, I'm most known for the art of SEO, which is the Bible on SEO. I actually have it right here for uh, your viewers. Wow, that's, that. a, that's a heavy book. <laughs> it, it, uh, yeah, it's a little intimidating for some. It's a thousand pages. <laughs> Whoa. So I'm co-author in that. I did get some help, of course. But um, yeah, it's in its third edition. And uh, yeah, it's uh, the, the Bible on the SEO fundamentals. So, how, how, how did that come about? How did you um, how did you 
get yourself into a position because, you know, the saying is, well, we've got to hire that guy because he wrote the book. You know, yes. like it's the ultimate authority play, that. isn't I never, it? Yeah, I yeah, never yeah. get tired of hearing that one. And, and it's the ultimate authority play, isn't it? It's like, well, if anyone's ever negotiating on price or negotiating on your process or trying to micromanage you, you're like, dude, I wrote the book on this stuff. <laughs> like, what are you arguing with me for? So how did that come about? How did you get into a position where you were involved in writing a book called The Art of SEO? Yeah, so the the book came about because I was being very generous and sharing my knowledge at a conference called SMX Advanced. It was the very first SMX Advanced, and I believe in karma, you know, business karma, that what you put out there in the universe, you get back, and you shouldn't put stuff out in the universe because you expect stuff back, but just yeah. because that's how you operate in the world. Yeah. So I gave away some of my best tips, the actual second idea was called give it up and I came up with that idea <coughs> and yeah at this um, at this conference everybody who was in the SEO industry who was uh, you know big at the time was there including Rand Fishkin and three weeks later um, I, I hadn't really spoken to him before uh, so when he came up to me in the speaker room at the next conference, which was SES Toronto a few weeks later, he came up and gave me a hug. And I wasn't expecting that because you know, I, I had never spoken to him before. And we just had a great conversation. We decided to do a book together. Wow. So Rand, <laughs> Rand, Rand's a hugger, right? He is. Yeah. For those of that don't know, I've been living under a rock for the last 10 years. Rand Fishkin, of course, is uh, also the founder of Moz, which is the fabulous uh, SEO software that we all know and love. Um, so, so, was, so you'd never written a book before, and before the art of SEO. And there were four, <laughs> including yourself and Rand, there are four co-authors of that first edition. Is that right? Yeah. Here, let me take a drink of water. Sure. Uh, there was, uh, I believe, yourself, uh, Eric, Jesse, and Rand. Did you all work on the first edition? Yeah. We worked on the first and second editions, and then right. the third edition, Rand uh, dropped off. Cool. Um, how was that, collaborating on a book of that magnitude with, with three other authors? How, what yeah, what was great. the process like? Um, yeah, it's, it's really, it's, uh, you know what they say, uh, camel is a horse designed by committee. <laughs> yeah, yeah right. it's, it's tricky it's really really tricky um getting the voice to be consistent yeah we, we had a ghost writer help us more of a ghost editor mm -hmm. yeah so get it all in one consistent voice and fill in the gaps and so forth so. um and and why seo like what why did you end up in that place where uh, where SEO became something, that, you know, became, I was talking to someone the other day, um, uh, a friend of mine, Gonzalez, and he said, you know, life, we, we, we're built to solve problems. And if we don't choose the problems to solve, then life will just throw us problems to solve. And so he, his, his philosophy is he likes to be proactive and he likes to actually choose the rabbit holes he wants to go down rather than just have life throw him a rabbit hole to go down. So why did SEO become the rabbit hole that you wanted to go down and become the specialist in? Well, I was actually studying for a PhD in biochemistry and I decided, uh, you know, this wasn't my path. This was 1994 and SEO wasn't really a thing yet. No. 
web development was. It was just starting to really take off. People were um, using Mosaic back then as mm -hmm. a web browser. Yeah. And at a conference in 1994, I met one of the uh, guys behind Net Netscape. It was the uh -huh. creator of Netscape Server, which was also at the time the creator of uh, the um, NCSA web server. And then later he became the creator of Apache. Wow. So I met Rob McCool at this second international worldwide web conference. Tim Berners-Lee was the keynote speaker. Oh, wow. Well. Of the web. And I was starstruck. <laughs> so I'm like, wow, I need to get into this internet game. I had made a couple of websites on the side for fun. Um, but I realized that this is, this is my path. And it goes back to where I w was in my early years writing my own bulletin board system, BBS from scratch when I was a kid, teaching myself assembly language, not just basic, but assembly language as a kid, like programming in hexadecimal. <laughs> I was a total geek. Right. So it made a lot of sense for me to go back <clears throat> to my roots and, and start building websites. And I dropped out of my PhD and started an agency called Net Concepts. And then we uh, started specializing in SEO over uh, the next few years. And uh, one of the, my big breaks, this is a great tip for all of your, uh, all, all of your audience. Get uh, just a blue chip client even if you have to buy that client. Mm -hmm. so what I did in the early days, before we had big name clients as our uh, SEO clients, we had big name clients, but from a web development side of things. Sure. Like Birdseye was a client. Wow. That's a big client. That's a big client, yeah. What we didn't have was big SEO clients. And I wanted a, a huge one that was an e-commerce uh, client but also a household name. So we went after Target, target.com. Wow. And we offered to do a website audit, an SEO audit for free in exchange for a testimonial. Wow. That's genius because if you get a testimonial from a huge company like Target that you post on your website and in your marketing collateral and so forth, you don't, it's basically like having a, a, a thousand page book. I mean, it's yeah, yeah. a credibility builder. Yeah. We didn't even talk about my other two books. Too. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> so that's awesome. Social proof. I imagine that doing a web SEO audit on a website like target.com must've cost you considerable resources. It did, but it was well worth it. I mean, if we were going to spend, let's say $10,000 at a, a, a trade show. Yeah. That's hitting much rather spend that Absolutely. doing an audit for target for free and getting a, a testimonial and, and the ability to use their logo. Yeah. Um, so you, you then, um, uh, if I'm not mistaken, you then sold that business and yes. what have you been kind of doing since you got out of the agency game? Yeah. And, and, and to be fair, I wouldn't even call it an agency. I would call it a, uh, an amalgamation of both agency and software as a service because we were actually generating the majority of our revenue at net concepts from software as a service SaaS revenue. Right. And so what we were doing is we were taking um, very difficult to optimize websites, large scale websites that would take maybe a year or two to optimize because of issues with their platform, their e-commerce platform and uh, the, the technology stack and everything. 
it's not like these days where you have uh, where, you know most websites running WordPress and everything. It's pretty easy to optimize, but when you're running something like IBM WebSphere Commerce and it's painful to implement just the simplest changes like URL rewrites. So I had a technology platform that allowed us to go in and just optimize everything without doing the changes on their web server. It was at a middleware layer, first proxy uh, uh, technology, so that we were able to essentially kind of swap in stuff without doing it on their server. Gotcha. It looked like it was on their server because of the proxy. So we were charging on a cost per click basis for that, 15 cents a click. We were making a lot of money off of click revenue. Yeah, millions and wow. uh, that was that was good times so that was the main reason why my uh agency quote-unquote got acquired was uh-huh. because of that technology platform and all, all that recurring revenue you know we, we had clients like zappos paying us uh a lot of money wow i'll, I'll just say seven figures to uh wow <laughs> just give you so, wow and, and when you compare that to seo consultants uh, back in the day, at that time, they were charging at best maybe ten grand a month. Mm. You know, maybe you can find fifteen grand uh, sort of um, size clients. Maybe mm. that's it. That's no comparison. No comparison. Six figures a month mm. in click revenue from SEO was just a game changer. Wow! <clears throat> and so, so since the since you uh, sold that business. Um, you, obviously you've been writing books since you've been doing some speaking. What does your business today look like? What's the kind of the mix and the makeup? Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm doing consulting still. Um, it's pretty selective <laughs> who I take on cause I decided not to build another agency and, and <laughs> have another big team with, you know, we had, we had at our peak, like 65 staff and Whoa. three different countries <laughs> Yeah. One of those businesses is still going. I don't have any involvement in it. Um, Net Concepts China is still operating um, and doing really, really well uh, to service the Chinese market. But um, yeah, Net Concepts in the U.S. got acquired by Cavario and then Cavario got acquired by Dentsu Aegis, the multi-billion dollar ad agency conglomerate. So the team and the technology and so forth kind of got absorbed um, Mm -hmm. by different so, uh, companies, but then my personal uh, brand. I, you know, here's another thing too for your your audience is always look after your personal brand because mm. that's what you carry with you to the grave. Mm. Your company, like for you, WP Elevation, that's mm. your company today. But is mm. it going to be your company in 20 years? Yeah, that's right. That's fine. So you always <laughs> will have your your personal yeah. brand, and if you. Uh, you, you you just keep putting that off like, Oh yeah, I really should uh, work on my Troy Dean website. Yeah. I never have time. Yeah. That's a bad idea to push that to the sidelines because that's the brand you carry with you all the way to the grave. So I always, have you been stalking me, Stefan? <laughs> <laughs> Is my office bugged? <laughs> it's a very timely conversation. I actually said to my wife last night, I wonder if anyone's going to tune in and watch my live streams when I'm 64, you know, like, you know, I like, I, I, yeah, I hope so too. But I, I'm kind of starting to think, 
you know, 20 years in the future. And I'm, I'm starting to have that conversation with myself and the team here about my personal brand. It's a conversation that we're actually having right now as we speak. So it's very timely that, uh, that you bring yeah. this up. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, I, so that's part of being on TV. That's part of having your, your own books. Hmm. Like I, so this book, Google Power Search, you, you, you notice is a solo authored. Because mm-hmm. I wanted to have a book that I was the only author of. Mm. I, I also um, wanted to make sure that I, my personal brand wasn't just pigeonholed into SEO. Oh, he's the SEO guy. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I have the art of SEO, but I also have this book. Socially commerce. Socially commerce has nothing to do with SEO. I, I'm multi-talented. I'm, uh, I, I'm, uh, I'm. I have depth and breadth. Mm. Both. So I can go deep into uh, social media marketing as well as SEO and other areas too. Conversion optimization and e-commerce and email marketing and so forth. Mm. So you don't want to be a one-trick pony. So build your personal brand so that you have at least two distinct areas because that's another way that you uh, uh, prevent the robots from taking your job. (laughs) You do the one thing. And programming is, to be fair, one of those things will be uh, replaced later by the robots than, you know driving cars and, and, and stacking shelves and, and uh, checking people out at the register um, at, at the grocery store. So, you know, you, you have, some, as, as a WordPress developer or consultant, you have more staying power comparison to a lot of these other jobs. However, if you compare uh, the person who has like one set of skills, one, one key area, let's say it's WordPress, and they have another area that has like maybe nothing to do with WordPress. Let's say music, mm. or let's say um, horticulture. I'm looking at your plant in the background. Like horticulture. <laughs> <laughs> right? And and you can compare you can compare these and say, well, there's not a lot of overlap here. Let's figure out a way to merge these two disciplines together. Do something really creative. You could be the WordPress consultant for horticulturists. Mm or big agriculture or for whatever, right? So you can yeah. <clears throat> combine these uh, separate disciplines. Like for me, programming, being able to code this uh, technology that I described, Gravity Stream for doing a reverse proxy and you know, fixing all these issues with your SEO without having to get into all the, the um, underlying platform and having the creativity to come up with crazy, brilliant, marketing campaigns that will get lots of links, even though these are still both part of SEO, they're so completely different. One is more like an ad agency creative director and the other is like a, you know, a coder or a, a CTO. Mm. Having those disciplines being able to co-mingle in one brain uh, keeps the robots at bay for a little longer. It reminds me of a conversation I had with one of my uh, close friends and, and I consider him a business mentor, uh, Nick Thekalal, who's been on the podcast. He gave a presentation uh, once in which he said, use robots to scale your business and employ humans to find creative solutions and add creativity to your business. Because yeah. the one thing that robots will always struggle with is, is how to make a judgment call on what is best for the customer. In fact, on the weekend, I was reading an interesting article about the algorithm and how, you know, uh, how Facebook 
um, recommend, you know, every, every day in your, in your newsfeed on Facebook, there's a post that says, you know, on this day, a year ago, this is what you were doing. And it got a lot of uh, engagement. Maybe you want to promote this to your friends again and share this memory from a year ago. And there was a story about a, a guy whose newsfeed said on this day a year ago, and, and, you know, there's this lovely music that the Facebook robot video, you know, robots put together and encouraging him to promote this post. And it was when he was, I think I know this is where, where this is going. He was in a really bad car accident and it was pictures of him being carted off to the hospital, in the back of an ambulance. And it was quite traumatic for him to revisit that. And it's because no human beings checking on the content. It's the robot just saying, Hey, this got lots of likes and comments. Maybe you want to share this again. So, you know, becoming, a robot main, and this is the conversation we have on a you know daily basis in our Facebook group. Is you know WordPress consultants are saying, well, with things like the grid and, and AI, you know, developing a website from a Photoshop file into a website is going to be completely automated, and there'll be no human beings involved. And mm-hmm. my argument is that may be the case, but you still need to know what text to put on the page and you still need to know how to craft a message to get your audience to take the action that you want them to take, whether it's, you know, buying a book, whether it's buying something, your e-commerce store, booking you for a speaking gig, whatever it is, robots are a millennia away from being able to do that because the one thing that it's really difficult to, to automate and to roboticize is the conversation that you have between two people and how you understand each other. Well, I, I'll, Let's agree to disagree on this one. Because, oh, really? Yes. <laughs> Here's the problem. Most people have a linear time horizon, mm-hmm. right? So when you look at the actual horizon, you don't think, wow, this is pretty cool. We're sitting on a globe, mm. right? You look into the distance and you see you, your brain thinks flat. Mm. This is how we think about time as well, but it's not how things are progressing. The law of accelerating returns, which is all about how um, technological change is exponential mm-hmm. because of Moore's law and Metcalf's law. Mm-hmm. Moore's law being that every 18 months, the technology, the processing power either doubles or the price of that same processing power halves or mm-hmm. both. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Metcalf's law that the uh, the network, the, the value of the network grows exponentially with the size of the network. So that's mm-hmm. why the uh, first couple of fax machines were worthless. But then uh, 100 people having fax machines, more valuable, and then 1,000 fax machines. And, and quickly, it became massively valuable because enough people had fax machines. Mm-hmm. And then the internet and you know, and then the next thing, whatever the next thing is. Mm-hmm. So with all this exponential advance of technology happening, According to Ray Kurzweil, do you know who Ray Kurzweil is? Oh, I know the name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I know Ray Kurzweil yeah, from uh, Singularity University. Is that right? Yeah. Singularity yeah. University. He wrote Singular- The Singularity is Near. Yeah. Um, the Age of, of Intelligent Machines was another one of his earlier books and the Age mm-hmm. of Spiritual Machines. So he's very good at predicting the future. And um, a lot of his predictions have come to pass. And he's also an incredible technologist and inventor invented speech synthesizers, music synthesizers, all these incredible things. Mm. His prediction is that, uh, or his analysis is that in the last hundred years, we had X amount of, of technological, technological growth. And at today's rate of change, because things have sped up so much, 
the last 100 years would fit into the next 10 years mm-hmm. or no 20 years 20 years mm-hmm. uh, the next 20 years but because it's continuing to speed up see that's if the today's rate of change held up for the next 20 years but that's mm-hmm. not going to happen it's going to continue to speed up mm-hmm. so it actually fit into the next 12 years the last 100 years think about 100 years ago telling somebody that yeah, we're going to have these boxes where you're going to put TV dinners in. Where <laughs> people will be walking down the street and they'll have a little wire going into their pocket, and uh, that's so they can talk on the phone to somebody in China. You know, it's like what? It sounds like fantasy. Yeah. Well, television, you know. So imagine what life is going to be like in twelve more years. That's essentially like 100 years ago, Mm. fast forwarding into today. Mm. So 12 years ago, I mean, 12 years from now will be like uh, the last 100 years. Mm. So wrap your head around that and you think, okay, computers today are not very good at uh, emotional intelligence. Mm. They're not very creative. They can't create a symphony, for example. They can't create uh, or compose a symphony. They can't... um, paint a masterpiece but how long do you think uh, you said a millennium mm. <laughs> it's not gonna be millennium it's gonna the singularity point is actually according to ray kurzweil around 2055 to 2065 wow that's where all known laws of the universe break down in terms of evolution right? so there's different kinds of singularities quantum singularity is a black hole the known laws of physics break down inside of a black hole inside of a quantum singularity evolutionary singularity which we're going to hit in you know 2055 2065 somewhere in that ballpark all the known laws of evolution break down but well before then like 2045 or 2035 somewhere around there computers will be smarter than us that's a scary so thought augment our brains with computers <laughs> Or we will upload our consciousness into uh, you know, into the cloud, or we'll do some. You know, th- there will be very significant changes. So, if you think about, well, ten years from now, it's going to be a lot like what ten years ago was, but maybe with more cool tech. Oh no! <laughs> so we got to think about like what's two years down the pike going to look like? What's five years? What's ten years? And we have to think exponentially instead of thinking linearly. Like we're looking at the horizon and we got to train our brains like to remember we're on a globe, we're on a sphere. So, so as, how do we, you know, as consultants, our, our value really is in the relationships that we have with our clients and the problems that we solve for our clients. How does that impact what our job looks like in 10 years time? Well, you always have to be ahead of the curve in terms of, Knowing like your client needs to rely on you not just to be proactive, but to be uh, preemptive. So if you're waiting for the client to call you asking um, for help with a particular issue, like hey, hey, what's this thing about AMP? Accelerated hmm. mobile pages. I just heard about that. Tell me about it. Never, ever, ever should that be happening. The client mm. should be relying on you to say, hey, there's this thing that you should know about. It's AMP, uh, Accelerated Mobile Pages. Let me tell you about it, and you can tell me if you think this is a fit for you, and then we can you know, design a roadmap for getting this implemented. 
Right? So they rely on you to be uh, preemptive. And if you have this long view of the future, like, okay, I understand that the law of accelerating returns means stuff that we think is science fiction will be science fact a lot sooner than we anticipate. So I need to be ahead of the curve here. I need to keep my client informed and thinking bigger picture and outside the box and more into this fantastic future. Mm. <clears throat> I think that makes you uh, a lot more valuable and, and strategic instead of just a, a, a vendor who is a, you know, a service provider of the moment. Yeah, I agree 100%. Um, you know, Uber just invested $1.4 billion and ordered 24,000 driverless Volvo XC90s to be delivered in the next five or six years. And if you'd said to me when I was a kid that we'll be getting in driverless cars and, you know, to go to work or to go out to the theatre at night, I would have thought you're a lunatic and I would have thought that you would have been reading too many Isaac Asimov books, but uh, turns out driverless cars are going to be here in our lifetime, which is uh, yeah. you know, a very exciting thing. Um, well, it's not just in our lifetime, it's in the next few years. Yeah. It's, I'd say uh, and anticipate that you'll be uh, stepping into driverless cars and sitting down in them and going for rides in the next three to four, maybe five years max. Yeah. Uh, that's that's the reality. And so if you are like the equivalent of an Uber driver today, like, yeah. oh, yeah, I'm doing low level stuff. I know it's it's got a limited shelf life, but, you know, yeah. it's making good money right now. Yeah. I, I'm in the ecosystem doing WordPress stuff. That's a commodity. Yeah. Yeah. You are like the Uber driver and there are Uber drivers who have their um, head in the sand mm -hmm. and that that's the worst case. You know, yeah. They don't believe that they're going to be replaced by robots. They're ones who say, well, I'm just going to make hay while the sun shines. Yeah. yeah while, while it's, uh, uh, you know, good to do that while that uh, works. Um, and then there's those who are just like, okay, I'm in a dead end industry and I need to get out now. Mm. I think all of your audience need to be in that last category. Mm. If you're doing something that's a commodity, that's, um, doesn't have a, a future mm. get out now because if you go in later you're behind the curve uh, other people are um, blazing the trail are, are making the innovations and you're trying to play catch up so what is it what does an seo consultant's job look like in five years time i mean won't the algorithm just make all the recommendations and do all the work and effectively replace you as an seo consultant well, that's a great question, and that applies to what we were just talking about. So you can be the kind of SEO consultant or the kind of WordPress consultant who is doing the old school stuff, the commodity type stuff. Well, you know, I'm doing keyword research and figuring out which keywords are better than other ones in terms of more popular or um, more attainable, you know, to achieve a top 10 uh, ranking for or um, has higher relevance to you know, what, what my industry is about or whatever. So that's really basic fundamental SEO. I'm not saying neglect it, but I'm saying that that has a limited shelf life going in and optimizing your content to incorporate those keywords that you identify as more popular than others using the, the better synonyms than the ones that nobody <laughs> searching for. That's really basic blocking and tackling. Yeah. <clears throat> if that's all you do, 
you're going to be dead in terms of the industry. You're, you're going to be left behind. So that's in terms of SEO. Same thing applies in terms of WordPress. If you're doing the low level stuff, it's like, oh yeah, well, you know, I mean, I need to go in and optimize uh, the various, you know, things with, with the WordPress theme, like I'm using, uh, you know, such and such framework. And then, you know, I, you know, child theme optimization work I got to do and go into the settings and that sort of stuff. If that's all you're doing, you will be replaced by a robot. So if, if you see that, all right, I'm doing something that's going to be replaced by robots, like I'm essentially an Uber driver, then jump out of that as soon as you possibly can, even if it pays well, mm. because it's not sustainable and that will put you on the back foot. And, and what should we be jumping into if we're jumping out of doing that kind of low-level work? Yeah. So let's say it's an SEO. <clears throat> You'd be looking for stuff that is the cutting edge part of SEO. So you, you start digging into rank brain and really understanding that Google algorithm that's all about machine learning. It's machine learning right now. It's not full AI, artificial mm. intelligence. It will be. Mm. everything will be running off of artificial intelligence at Google mm. only a matter of time. So the way that you can kind of go to battle against an AI is with what? Another AI. So you got to become an expert on artificial intelligence. If you want to survive and thrive in this new age of SEO. Mm. It's interesting. One of the most successful campaigns that Facebook campaigns that we have run ourselves internally, I got some advice from a Facebook ad consultant who said, don't do any targeting, just run an experiment for a couple of weeks. Don't do any targeting, just throw your ad up, target, you know, everyone on Facebook and uh, see what happens. Because the theory is, and Facebook have actually been saying this, is that we have enough data to target your ads for you. Don't worry about the targeting. We'll figure that out. Let the algorithm decide who to show your ads to. You just write good copy and make a good offer. That's a and terrible idea. Yeah, that's what I thought. That's what <laughs> that's I thought as well. That's a terrible idea. That's what I thought as well. But yeah. it worked. So we ran well, this. The thing is it worked okay, but you don't know what you could have gotten if you'd done, if you'd done something completely different. That's, that is true. Um, it, 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 that, that is true. But what was interesting for me was the experiment was let's not do any targeting and let's just show, let's just let Facebook figure out the targeting for us. And, um, our, our, and it was a very limited experiment. So we were just experimenting on cost per lead. That was the metric that we were measuring. And we did really well over a, about a three-week period. We were spending good money. Like you can't do this at $20 a day because there's just not enough volume there for you know, Facebook to decide. So I think we were spending a couple hundred bucks a day, which was enough for Facebook to say, okay, yep, this is where we're going to show the ads. I figure it's just linked to our... Our, our Facebook page and they just on the fly build like a, a, a lookalike audience and know who to show the ads to. And it worked really well for a, a very limited period of time. So that was interesting to me that I think potentially in five years time or maybe even three years time that your Facebook ads will all just be completely automated. You just say, hey, I want to spend this much on Facebook ads over the next three months and you just hit a button and the, the algorithm and the AI does the whole lot for you. Is that, I mean, is that, am I off track here or is that going to be, is that a possibility? Well, I would say that you're in a much better position if you are in control of an algorithm 
rather than the algorithm controlling you. So <laughs> in that position, I would say I wouldn't rely on the Facebook algorithm to do the best job possible because their, their incentives are not aligned with your incentives. Mm. Right. You ever read the book Freakonomics? Yeah. 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 Great book. Great, yeah. great book. And it's all about the incentives that are baked into the system and are they aligned or are misaligned? That's why teachers cheat in public school systems in America. That's why sumo wrestlers will throw fights and you know, all these fascinating stories that were in that book all boil down to the incentives in the system did not align well with uh, you know, our incentives and or the incentives, you just didn't see them. Mm. But what um, would happen is counterintuitive stuff because of, because of these incentives. So um, if you think about like, I want to advertise at the best cost per lead with Facebook. That's not what Facebook cares about. Facebook cares about getting the most money possible out of every single person. So if you have your own algorithm that tries to tune things to maximize your uh, objective, then Facebook will do its thing. So yeah, you got to find the right tools and you have to have the right strategies. If you, you don't just throw up an ad and say, I want to buy likes. Mm. If you can do that, you can do a brain dead ad that's terrible, <laughs> just trying to get likes and you'll get all these likes from Bangladesh and yeah. uh, places that well, nobody will ever click again. And they're just basically being paid to like stuff and they're liking everything. So it doesn't leave a footprint. Yeah. Not just the stuff that is their client stuff. Right. So they're liking everything, including your stuff. And then they'll never have any further engagement with your brand. And you've just destroyed your, um, your Facebook account with all that garbage. Mm. So that's a bad way to do it. If you um, rely solely on, on Facebook, you have to have some sort of strategy. And I'm, I'm guessing that you had maybe like a custom audience that you started with and then you created a lookalike audience from that and you let the lookalike audience algorithm do its magic. Well, in our, in our situation, we targeted, um, I can tell you, we targeted uh, 18 to 65-year-old men and women in the United States. That was the only targeting we did. Mm-hmm. And my theory is that Facebook looked at our page, the algorithm looked at our page and said, okay, I'm just going to show this ad to people, to basically a, a custom audience of similar, uh, you know, fans to this page. We had about 10,000 fans on our page. So I'm guessing that's how Facebook did it. Now, I can tell you that we had, and it was for a, a, a one of our free templates that we were giving away. I can tell you that we had some emails from people who downloaded our free template saying, hey, this is very useful, but I'm a plumber. Um, I'm not really sure this is beneficial for me. And I said, well, no, <laughs> you're right. It's not beneficial for you at all. But hey, it only cost me 70 cents to get you in my database. So, you know, now I'll try and sell you something from AppSumo. Um, so, 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 so it was an interesting, you know, it was an interesting experiment. Um, but what, and this is a Facebook rep that told that my, my Facebook consultant, uh, who she'll remain nameless, but a fa she spends a lot of money on Facebook ads. And the Facebook rep said to her, stop targeting, let the algorithm do the targeting for you. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. Um, hey, let's switch gears a little bit. Let's talk about, um, I want to talk about a couple of things. Um, 
uh, well, I want to, I want to, I want to loop back to the SEO conversation. How, you know, I mean, given what we've been talking about, how do we, what's, how do our, how do our audience start the conversation about selling SEO packages to their customers? And, and how do we, what are the hot buttons for our audience to go and push with their clients to get the, because the, you know, SEO is something that our, that our clients, customers don't understand. You build a website for a plumber, for example, or a landscape gardener, and their expectation is that they'll just be on page one of Google within a few days. And when they're not, and you start to have a conversation around SEO, they don't understand it. So it's a very difficult conversation to have because there's this whole education piece that needs to go along with it. Have you got any insights into how you can, have that conversation in a, in a more strategic way. Yeah. Yeah. So stop educating the customer or the client and uh, start poking at their pain point. Hmm. Right. Because your job is not to educate them. Your job is to solve the problem. And some people are problem aware. Some people are solution aware. Some people are your solution aware. Hmm. Most people are not your solution aware. You go in and you try to sell your solution because you assume that they're so your solution aware, but they're still at problem aware. <laughs> That's right. Or problem ignorant. <laughs> or, or yeah, exactly. They haven't even gotten to problem aware That's yet. Right. Blissfully ignorant. <laughs> yeah. They don't even know that there's nowhere to be found on Google. That's right. Yeah. So, so first off is you got to realize that this is about stretching the gap for that prospect or that client like okay here's where you're at now here's where you would like to be let's make it really painful and obvious <laughs> how big that gap is between where you are now and where you would like to be i love it right this is not about let me tell you about how seo works let me tell you about how google works let me tell you yeah. about the three pillars of seo content and architecture and links let me tell you about off page and on page seo let me like you just make their brains hurt That's and right. get this uh, paradox of choice happening because there's so many things they could opt to do within That's that right. realm of SEO. Like, oh, should we do link building? Should yeah. we do keyword research? Should yeah. we uh, do some on-page uh, tweaking, like go into our Yoast settings and change a bunch of stuff? Is this ongoing work, like maintenance we need to do every month or is this stuff that is just one-time fix? Yeah, it's a rabbit hole. Just avoid that entirely and just say, look, here's where you're at and it's not pretty. And you, you, you really make them aware that they're in a problem. And what would you like to have happen? And what do you think that's worth to you? Like, give me some numbers. Give me some estimates of what you think that would be worth to you. Now you can say, well, I'm only a fraction of what that worth is, that number you just gave me. I think this is a no-brainer. Let's do it. And so is your approach to, to um, keep the client hands-off in terms of what you're actually delivering and just you know basically say, look, I wrote the book on this. <laughs> Trust me, I'm an expert. I know what I'm doing. I'll get you the result. You don't need to know the details. I would, uh, well, most people aren't going to be able to say I wrote the book on it. No, that's right. <laughs> that's right. So I can say that, but that's right. that's uh, right. that only works for a very, very small. Life. <laughs> right. um, I would say it's on a need to know basis. Right. If you're in the weeds telling them that I did this little thing, I changed your Yoast setting from uh, disallowed yeah. and no index, and here's why that's important. And yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
it just is a that's a road to nowhere. Yeah, that's you right. You got to show them results. Yeah. So you track their rankings using a rankings tracker like uh, Rank Ranger mm -hmm. or Authority Labs or Stat Search Analytics, and you give them reports and say, "Here's where you were, and here's where you are now." And these are some of the things that we did that I think is moving the needle for you. Yeah. And and you don't have to go into explanations. I'm like, you don't want to be in the position of providing as a consultant. A, uh, a report that is uh, for your every invoice you have to l list all your hours and what yeah, you did no. <laughs> hour, right I don't even track my time that's right I, I charge based on results I charge yeah. based on what I deliver for my clients not on how many hours I put in because I could solve a problem that could make them millions and it only took me an hour but it actually took me 20 some years of knowledge and expertise and, and, you know, building my career up to where I am now to be able to put that hour in and solve that million dollar problem. They shouldn't you, pay for an hour of my time. No, because, you know, and you've written a few books on the topic. And, you know. <laughs> yeah, but exactly. this is true for everybody. Who's, yeah, absolutely. Who's listening to this. Yeah. You have value that far exceeds your hourly rate. So if you think in terms of what can I earn per hour, you're getting the game wrong. This is all about results. That's what the client cares about. They care about the result. What is it worth to them? So now you can understand the value to them by asking them those pointed questions like, well, here's where you are now and here's where you'd like to be. What do you think that's worth? What do you think that's costing you on a monthly basis or on a yearly basis? Hmm. Wow, that's a lot of money. Shouldn't we fix that immediately? And I'm only a fraction of what that's gonna cost. Hmm. And yeah, that, that might be 10 or a hundred times what I would have charged you on an hourly basis, but I'm not going to talk about that. Mm. <laughs> I'm going to tell you yeah, yeah. this is the cost because this is the project and this is the value that we expect to get based on our discussions and understanding of the gap between where you are and where you'd like to be. hundred percent. I couldn't agree more. It's it, we're singing from the same hymn book as they say. Yeah. Um, and I hope you're paying attention, people listening and making notes because this is exactly, uh, Stefan is exactly spot on here. A um, couple of things I want to talk about before we wrap up. Um, one is, uh, and this is something that people may not know about you, but I know about this because I did some research before the episode. First of all, how do you get a Wikipedia entry? How did that happen? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there'll be, I'm sure Stefan will release a course in the coming months, uh, how to get your own Wikipedia entry. Um, it's tricky. It's very tricky because, um, you can't go in and create your own article. No, I know. I tried once. <laughs> yeah. That's against the conflict of interest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, you, yeah. You have to be, uh, um, very aware of the constraints within the Wikipedia ecosystem. So yeah, that's, that's a whole other episode. That's a whole other episode, exactly. Um, but there are two. There are just two things that I wanted to touch on, just to give people a little bit more of an understanding about Stefan, the man, rather than the SEO author. A uh, couple of uh, things that I discovered. One is, and you've blogged quite publicly about this, is that you're a foster child, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, for a few years um, during my teenage years, I was a foster child. How do you think? Um, how, how do you think that? 
in terms of your resilience as a business person and as a as an adult, how do you think that played into that? Oh, it definitely uh, added to. I, I, some people would say, "Well, I don't know how you survived your childhood because it was you know, people who know what I went through." Um, this was even before I became a foster child. Like, how did you even survive that? You know, it's it's a gift. It was a huge, huge gift. And my wife, Ryan, likes to say it, it's, uh, you know, it's a, it might be a gift with the bow on, on the bottom. <laughs> it's a gift with the bow on the bottom. You don't see that it's actual gift until you really examine it and say, oh, wait a second. That really was a gift. So, for example, I have three beautiful uh, daughters, all, all grown now. And um, I wouldn't have them if I hadn't had that experience as a foster child and as a uh, a child who like my grandfather was really abusive and I was living with him for several years. It was really, it was a tough time, but I, I matured a lot because of, of that. And I was able to get married at 19 years old. In fact, I was completely ready for it. Most people like my kids are now 26, 25 and, and 21 and they're not ready to get married, not even close because they didn't have to grow up fast. Mm. Like I did. And what would happen if I had an easy childhood? Not only would I not be as resilient and as good at business and whatever else, but I wouldn't have them because I got married at 19 and I had my first kid at 20. And you know, wow, the whole, that, that's how my life evolved as an early adult, as a young adult. And not, none of that would have transpired if I hadn't that kind of maturity and, and depth at such a young age. Mm. So it's a gift with the bow on the bottom, but now I can see the full benefits of it. Um, why I went on TV to talk about being a foster kid uh, recently, and it wasn't public before. It was about a, a year ago, uh, a year and a half ago that I started um, uh, being public about it. It's not that I was hiding it. It's just I didn't sure. see the relevance. Yeah. But then learning about how to get on TV and pitching TV uh, producers on segments. I'm like, well, May is National Foster uh, Care Month. And I was a foster child. And that's a compelling story. And I can make a difference and let people know like what they could do, even if they don't want to take in a foster child. They could donate. They could volunteer. There are things they could do to make these foster kids' lives better. Mm. So I can make a difference. I can provide a really compelling segment proposal uh, to the producers. And, you know, here's the key thing for people, uh, for our listeners, is that when you're on TV, you're the authority and you're celebrity. People yep. will pay twice as much money for you because you're the person on TV. Yeah. And you could be talking about plumbing. You could be talking about um, being a foster child. You could talk about WordPress. It doesn't matter your sizzle reel and your media clips and everything. And the, as seen on logos, all that can be about you being a foster child and, um, or your involvement as, with a, a nonprofit. Like I'm, I'm on the board of a nonprofit that uh, builds schools in Africa. And, you know, I could be t talking about this on TV and that's going to help my personal brand back to that. Yeah. Uh, yeah early on in the segment and in, in mm. this uh, uh, episode, we talked about the power of your personal brand and how you have to nurture it. Mm. 
So getting these TV segments talking about being a foster child, I thought, okay, this is going to be helpful for a whole lot of different reasons. Yeah. And um, the more open and vulnerable I'm willing to be, the more karma, you know, points I'll get. Um, Yeah. And some more light I'll reveal into the universe. So yeah. that's why I did it. And uh, yeah, I've gotten some really good um, um, anecdotal feedback that that was the right thing to do. Yeah, well, kudos to you because uh, being vulnerable like that and telling your story takes a lot of courage. And I think it um, empowers others to feel a little safer in telling their story and, and feeling a little more connected to each other. Uh, so um, yeah, you know, you know what they say is, Facts tell, stories sell. Yeah. People buy from people. They don't buy from companies. Yeah. They don't buy from vendors. So if they can relate to you, you've built relatability, you've climbed that wall of contacts between you and the prospect. So they know not only that you get them, but that, like you, you get their world. So it's not enough if they, um, if you get their world, mm. it only counts if they feel gotten by you. Yeah, they don't feel yeah, yeah, that. Yeah. If, they didn't, if, if they didn't receive <clears throat> that, doesn't matter how much you get their world and and what they're experiencing, it doesn't count. Yeah, uh, yeah, great, great advice. Um, the other um, story that I just wanted to touch on is your relationship with your daughter, who started a blog, and how encouraging you were. And uh, am I right in saying that you helped her get her own uh, piece in the Huffington Post? Is that is that right? Yeah. So uh, what happened with my daughter is I encouraged her to um, uh, start a a blog and do SEO back when she was 14 years old. And um, yeah, it went really well for her. She has a passion for Neopets, the virtual pet site. Um, (laughs) And she created a blog around that. And went like gangbusters and she started to get rankings for it. And then she got uh, to um, speak on a panel at Blogger, the women bloggers conference as uh-huh. a 16 year old. Wow. So that's launched her speaking career. Then she started speaking at all other, all these other conferences as a teenager. And then she got uh, her own column with the Huffington post at, at 17 years old. So she wow. was a blogger with the Huffington post and she got written up in newspapers and um, yeah, there's just really, um, it, it exploded from there. That's and fantastic. in fact, she just recently this summer was on MSNBC. Wow. The TV appearance, like this is, I've had 11 TV appearances uh, so far, but I, I went through a whole training program and pitched TV producers as part of this, this thing. She didn't do any of that. <laughs> and she has the biggest TV appearance, like totally closes all my other TV appearances, like MSNBC. She has a she can drop a link in, in an email to a prospect, say, you, you should watch this uh, TV appearance of me. And it's a Dateline NBC URL. <laughs> it's like, wow. So yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty cool. Uh, and, and, and she had the desire to... Uh, take the ball and run with it. I didn't do all the work for her. That's the thing too, is you, you can't, um, you can't create the desire for, uh, your child or your spouse or whoever, you know, you can't create the desire mm. for them. You just have to hope and pray that they have the desire to, to see it through. 
because that's their engine, that's fuel to make sure that that thing actually it comes to fruition, whatever that dream is uh, that they have. Because if you do it for them, then it doesn't count. It actually creates side effects. Yeah, it's like yeah. Winning the lottery, you, you're gonna uh, lose all that money or whatever because uh, you, you didn't earn it. it. It didn't come through your efforts. Yeah. So they got to put that effort in, and then they get the reward, and you're kind of the guide, and you're, you're the Sherpa. Yeah. Guiding totally. them up the mountain. Yeah. Totally agree. Stefan Spencer, this has been fascinating. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. Where can people reach out and say hi to you online? Yeah, so I'm on Twitter, S. Spencer. Um, they can email me, Stefan at StephanSpencer.com. It's S-T-E-P-H-A-N. Um, my website, StephanSpencer.com. I also have my two podcast shows, which are amazing, and I am biased, <laughs> but I bet, trust me, they are amazing. Uh, the Optimized Geek is one of them, and Marketing Speak is the other. Uh, marketingspeak.com is the website and optimizegeek.com is the other website. And uh, Troy is uh, one of my guests on Marketing Speak. It was a great episode. So um, yeah, you should drop a, a link in, in the show notes to that. I will do. Really good one. Will do for sure. Awesome. Well, thank you for returning the favor and uh, being on the show. And uh, I look forward to keeping in touch. And, and thanks for all the stories and all the advice and the philosophical chat about AI. I really enjoyed this episode. It was great. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Stefan. Okay, Cheers. Thanks. Take care. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode of the podcast as much as I did. I could have waxed lyrical with Stefan for hours and I probably will at some point in the future. I'll have him back uh, on another call. Please subscribe to the podcast at wpelevation.com slash iTunes and uh, leave us an honest rating and a review. If you don't use Apple products, then head on over to Stitcher Radio and uh, just search for the WP Elevation podcast. And of course, everything about this particular episode, all the links and all the show notes you can get at wpelevation.com slash Stephen Spencer. That's S-T-E-P-H-A-N-S-P-E-N-C-E-R wpelevation.com slash Stefan Spencer. Leave us a comment uh, and uh, enjoy the conversation. And also come and check us out on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash wpelevation is our Facebook page where we are publishing a weekly live show called Silence is Golden, uh, where we are helping you start and grow your own business as a WordPress freelancer slash consultant. So come and check us out over at Facebook. I look forward to speaking with you uh, on the next episode of the podcast. Until then, I'm Troy Dean. Go Elevate.